We are in our Family Matters series. I think we're at part eight if I'm counting right. <laughs> so I have to get my son to keep my numbers straight on that. But I think it's part eight of Family Matters. All the rest of them are online. And if anything today intrigues you and you need to go backwards, you can just go online to our webpage and there's a section called Our Messages. Click on the Our Messages and you're good to go. So um, Family Matters Part 8, though, is really in a series of studies we've done from the book of Colossians. And I'd love for you to turn to Colossians with me. Colossians chapter 3 in your Bible or tablet or cell phone or whatever in the world it is y'all use these days. <clears throat> By the way, I really recommend having one of these because uh, you can actually take notes in the margins and mark in it, which is always healthy. I know the other ones are very convenient. I have some of all of that and uh, study and teach out of that. I'm learning to teach off my tablet. I did that at camp a few years ago just as a practice and the very first time I tried to teach just from my tablet, I had nothing else with me, no backup printouts or nothing. I turned on the tablet and it fro it locked itself into some sort of thing. Everything I touched, nothing moved and I'm just going, wow, that was a dumb decision to not have a backup plan. So, uh, so I learned technology doesn't always get you where you need to go. It's just fun when it does. So, uh, But Colossians chapter 3, just, just look real quick, and, and this is Paul's how-to manual of how to walk by faith. People, people, even one of the girls in the video said, you know, I didn't know how to have a personal relationship with God. I didn't know how to, how to get close to God. Well, Paul in Colossians 3 gives you the, this is really his personal how-to manual, and he says, verse chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you trusted Christ as your Savior and He's raised you up with Him in His resurrection, Keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of this earth. And so the Lord is given Paul instructions to give the church, that's us, to say step one, the very first thing you need to do in order to have a healthy walk, which is how you're going to have a healthy family, by the way. I'm going to show you that at the end of this. The very first thing you do is you get your focus off of the things of the earth. There's an old hymn that we used to sing, Turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, the light of His glory and grace. One of the camp lessons I'm going to teach this week is about how dangerous the things of the world are. And I'm going to talk about the, the spirit. We studied this in this series, by the way. The very first, second lesson in this series, the spirit of Mammon, the spirit of Asherah, and the spirit of Baal, Baal, as they say in the Hebrew, is on our... It's, it's on our earth right now. All three of those spirits are strong in our culture. And I'm going to teach the students that, that spirit, those spirits that are in this world are, will destroy their lives. But if they'll seek things above, not of this earth, that's step one. Paul says, get your focus off the things here. The second thing he says, verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. There's a whole list of sins there. The wrath of God's going to come for those things. Verse 7, you once walked in them, but now you're different. You also put them all aside, and he gives another list of sins, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside all those practices. And we talked about having not just a focus in heaven, but having a funeral for your old self. The Bible says your old self is dead, and you need to make sure you pronounce that person dead. I don't live to that person anymore. And you, you fight to be the new creation. And last week we talked about what it means to be a new in, new in Christ. If you look in verse 10, we've put on the new self, renewed to a true knowledge, um, a renewal which there's no distinction. We talked about what it means that there's, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Once you're a Christian, 
There's not a hundred kinds of races and divisions of people. They're saved and lost. That's it. Everybody's soul matters more than anything once you become a Christian. It's your most valuable possession. And you care more about a person's soul than you do about their skin color or their music styles or their clothing or their hairstyles or whatever all that is that we get sideways over. None of that matters once you become a Christian because all the divisions go away. So verse 12, those of us who have been chosen by God, the new self, holy and beloved, put on, and then he tells us the garments we're to wear. We were to put off these other garments and put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All that we looked at last week, we're clothed in the righteousness of God, and we have a new image. And Brandon's out of town, so he can't interrupt me with that whole new man speech or infomercial he did with me last week. So, But but we are new in Christ, and we have this new image and uh, we have a new mentor. We have a, a new person that we follow. We have a new person that we are to become like. That's Christ. And we're made new. And He gives us a whole new set. If you're a Christian today, you've got a whole new set of values and priorities when you were saved. And so Paul decides to list those priorities. You say, well, this is kind of a weird passage to be in a family series. Let me just show you why it's why we're putting this in the family series. We're going to study in the next few minutes, verse thir- uh, 14... 15, 16, and 17, right? We're going to study those verses. Look at verse 18, right? The minute he ends this how-to manual, he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You understand? Paul's saying relationally, you get this stuff together, how-to stuff together, you do all these things, and then all of the family priorities work great. They work great when that happens. So the last part of our series, last part of this uh, Colossians study for us before we come back next week uh, from camp and look, have a Father's Day service that will be centered around some of those words we just read, starts in verse 14. These are the five new priorities that we are to live by. Five new priorities as Christians we're to live by. Many of you have been living by these for years. They're, they're actually testimonials that I could call out of our church family right here of how you've lived by these. So I'm, I'm honored to be a part of our church family that lives these out. But I'm just reminding everybody today, these have to be priority. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about like an ethereal priority, like up here in your head, but you really, it's a priority, but it's not really a priority. You know, I have several of those. They're priorities like losing weight. I have a priority to lose weight. Then I sit down and order a glass of sweet tea and drink about 13 gallons of it at every meal. That's not a priority anymore. It just goes right out the window because the tea tastes good. I'm like, yeah, sweet tea. Yeah, and I'll drink tons of sweet tea. Now I'll eat a salad, drink tons of sweet tea, not help myself. So, and then somebody goes, why didn't you order water? I goes, because it tastes like water. That's why. You know? But see, I have a priority to lose weight. Y'all didn't know that, did you? You know why? Because I'm not losing any weight. Not a good priority for me. But it's in the book as a priority for me, right? It's just way way down the list, right? But these priorities literally are to the, be the top-rung priorities. Paul says if you want to live your faith life like God intended, and if you want your family to be healthy, all the things that we just read from 18 and on, you want your family to be healthy, these are the priorities. And here's what he says, verse 14. Beyond all these things, that's that whole list of stuff he says, where is clothing? a heart of compassion and kindness and all that, and bearing with one another and forgiving. Beyond all these things, put on priority of love, the heart of love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we're to wear or to put on uh, love as a number one priority. It actually says grammatically, 
above everything, love. By the way, just so you'll know, this phrase love is the term that we use for God's love. It's agape in the Greek. There's three or four words that Paul could have put right here. Philadelphia, phileo love. Philadelphia love would be one he could have said, but beyond all these things, be brotherly loving with one another. Love each other as brothers in Christ. He didn't say that. He actually said, I want you to put on Christ-like love, agape. Extremely sacrificial. It never considers himself. That's what Christ-like love is. It's the most compassionate, loving uh, expression that you can possibly have. That's the priority we're to have. And you say, well, that's hard to do. Yes, it's very hard to do if you don't let the Holy Spirit guide you in it. If you're just trying to do it by yourself, we've talked about this before, if you're trying to force yourself into living the Christian faith, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, you can't accomplish all the things God's called you to accomplish without uh, having the Holy Spirit prompt you and say, Lord, that doesn't make any sense to me, but I will continue to love like you asked me to love. I'm going to put on that priority. I'm going to love that person. I've had, I've been in the ministry since I was 18 years old, 17 years old. I knelt right here and asked, um, and told the pastor of our church, found, the, the pastor of this church, David Jones, founding pastor. God was calling me. I said, I want to be just like you. God's calling me to be just like you, be a pastor of the church. And now I sit in his desk and walk around on his pulpit, which is amazing to me. I just pinch myself sometimes about how awesome that is and how great it is to be with our church family here. But I'll tell you this, in all those years, I've met a few church people I have a very hard time loving. Wow, are they hard to love. No matter how hard you try, they just, they drive you crazy. And you, you, you know, go back to them with, hey, you know, I did, okay, let's calm down. I'm, I went out a little more, well, I said, okay, let's work through this. And you go, okay, we're all on the same page. And then a little while later, it's like, and there's more, and you just go nuts. You know, in my early years of the church here, you know, there's a family that just was continually trying so hard to run me off. And everything good that happened, they would find a way to come around behind it and make it bad thing. And it was miserable to me. You know, I just had to, I kept going, I, I don't not love you. You're part of our church family. Why do you not love me? Kind of thing. But I'm just saying, no matter how hard it gets, we have to continue to love everybody. The Bible says... We give grace, forgiveness, and, and forbearance. If you look right, right before this verse, forgiveness and forbearance we give to everyone, trusting God to do a great work in them. And when we love by agape love, it changes lives. It changes lives. Grace changes people. Okay, man's love, nah, not so much. Okay, you get a, you get a good feeling sometimes when somebody loves you with that whole. You know, hey, you're my brother and I'll do whatever I can for you, whatever I can. Jesus never said, I'll do whatever I can. He said, I'll do all you need. You understand the difference? Not whatever I can. It's all you need. I'll get you saved from your sins by my death and I'll get you to heaven with me. I got it all on me. That's agape love. And that's a beautiful part of it. Second Corinthians 5.14 says these words, Christ compels us to love. He, we are compelled by Christ's love uh, because we're convinced, here it is on the screen, because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We all died in Christ. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for who? Who does it say? We should no longer live for themselves. It's not about me anymore. 
Remember the Family Matters series part one. The worst thing that can happen to us is to live to yourself. Make life all about you. Adam and Eve, all about them. They, they made a choice to say, you know what, I'm not interested in his commands. I just want it to be about me now. And when they did that, it wrecked everything. And we've become people who do that. We should no longer live to ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Keep going, Mary. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when, when people come to my office with problems, and I know they're believers, I'll tell them, hey, here's, here's a simple rule. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So whatever we got to work through in my office, no matter how ugly or sinful or painful it is, there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus because we're new creations. And we give each other that pass. We say, let's work through this together as, as body of Christ. John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would agape one another. Not Philadelphia love, agape. That you would literally sacrificially love like God loves. First John 3, 16 says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Matthew 5, Matthew 5 is the, the hard one. It says, look, everybody can love their friends. Everybody does that. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, love your enemies. My enemies, really? Yes. That neighbor that's driving you nuts, the neighbor with the magnolia tree, <laughs> that neighbor, you know, with the tree that he just won't cut down no matter how big the mess it makes, that neighbor that, you know, sideswipes your car when he comes, whatever the issues are, that, that co-worker or, you know, somebody that's just always a problem and has literally become an enemy to you. We are to love our enemies. Our love, our love is supposed to be shared with others so that it's noticeably different. When a Christian loves somebody, it should be noticeably different. It just should be. It should be noticeably different. People should say, something's different about that love. And because it's from, it's from above, it's not us. We set our mind on things above, chapter 3, verse 1. We, we put to death our old self because our old self is all about myself, right? And then above all these things. That's what the text says. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Dwell on the things of heaven. Think about your future there. Don't live to the earthly things. Put your body, put your, put your old self to death. Die to your old self. Have a funeral for your old self. Because your old self is all about yourself. And now, beyond all these things, love everybody. Beyond all these things, prioritize agape love. And don't let the enemy, by the way, you make a, you make a commitment to doing this today, the enemy is going to come in and bring you, bring you two or three challenging situations where you're going to go, I can't love that person. There ain't no way I'm loving that mother-in-law. There's just no way. You know, my mother-in-law drive me crazy. That's going to happen. And you just got to find a way to love, love, love. Second priority that's in the text, verse 15. Beyond all these things, put on love. Verse 14, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which is in, which, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. So there's a priority on peace, on peace. Now there's peace that we think of in world terms like governmental peace and nations having peace with each other that is not the peace that's described here okay 
The peace that's described here is your personal peace. You are to have a personal peace. John 14, 27, one of my favorite verses to just say out loud sometimes when I'm stressed. Jesus says these words, and I, I just picture, I literally picture Jesus talking straight to me with this one. And I, I put, I think he would put my name in it. I think he knows I need my name in it. He says, Stan, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you what the world has. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace, peace I give you. So when we're stressed and in turmoil, we're anxious, we are not prioritizing peace. Now, how do I prioritize peace? I believe that Jesus has it all under control. He's got everything handled. And whatever the crazy situation I'm in, I can be at peace because he's at peace. You know, I, I learned this phrase years ago from a, an old, old pastor. Uh, I was probably 22 years old when I heard an old pastor say it. I was in, sitting in a counseling session with him, and he was talking to somebody that was just off the rails anxious. And he just looked at me and he said, Do you think God is in heaven pacing heaven, trying to figure out what to do about all this that you're worried about? You think he's like, oh my gosh, or oh myself, that's what he said, oh myself, <laughs> oh my me, however God would say that. I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you think that's going to happen? Or do you think he's completely at peace in heaven? You know he's completely at peace in heaven? He's never anxious. Our Savior God and Lord is never anxious. Which means if we will rest in Him, in Him, we do not have to be anxious. Does it mean we're not going to go through hard times? Nope. Does it mean we're not going to go through difficult trials? Not at all. It means when you're in that trial, you look to Him and say, I am going to rest in you in this. I know you have this. Just tell me the steps to take, the words to say. Give me the next thing to do, Lord, and I'll do it. I'm not going to go around behind you. I'm not going to try to alter the course beyond what I should. I'm just going to honor and follow you. God's peace is a gift from Him. It comes, by the way, that John 14 passage that we read, that's all about the Holy Spirit coming. So the peace comes from listening to the Holy Spirit that dwells in every Christian. Every Christian got the Holy Spirit the minute you got saved. And the peace that you have is a gift from God, and it comes with the Holy Spirit. So if you're not at peace, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Somewhere you're listening to you, or you're listening to the enemy. You, the enemy, or the world, those are the three things that are going to come in and stir up your life. But when you'll shut all that down, I'm just going to give you a simple example of that. I know people that when they, when they are going through hard times, I say to them, what are you feeding your mind throughout the day? Well, I don't know. I'm like, all right, well, let's tell me about what radio stations you listen to. And they list their radio stations. I said, do this. Let's, let's change to one of two things. Either do a Christian radio station, two or three good ones in town here. Pick a Christian radio station to listen to all the way to work and all the way home and in, in the lunch breaks and all that. Just Christian radio for a week. Just do it for a week. And, or get on your phone and, and let's get, or get on your, uh, let's make some CDs. And I've given people CDs of just strong Christian music. Said, so I want you to saturate your mind with this while you're traveling. This is all you need to be having input. And they're like, man, when I got to work today, I was just really at peace. I'm like, yeah, you weren't listening to world news and, you know, people going and all this crazy stuff or just goofy stuff. You actually were feeding your spirit. The text is going to talk about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You were feeding your spirit that morning and the Holy Spirit went, hey, thanks. Now we're communicating. And I can give you peace because you're on my, 
You're not on earthly things anymore. You're working in heavenly things. See how that works? It really does. Some of you know how that works. How many of you have, have changed from all secular, but you may drop in there every once in a while, listen to your old favorites, but you go, you go a lot of Christian radio just to get your mind at peace. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's awesome. Of course, Larry knows all the oldies, man. Coming back from Gatlinburg, he was, we, he found this Pandora thing and, uh, I showed him how to do that. And next thing you know, we're listening to everything from the sixties you could dream of. And he's over there driving, singing all of it in falsetto voice. It's cracking me up. I'm texting my, she's in the back, Nets in the back seat and I'm in the front seat of their Tahoe and I'm, I'm texting the net going, he's cracking me up. He sings all these, he's singing with the Beach Boys, you know. He's all up here singing just as, as eyes can go and he's singing, singing with Lulu and everybody. He's got all of them. He was doing awesome. But you know, you can find a way to let your spirit hear the Holy Spirit. You just have to saturate yourself with the good stuff. You have to saturate yourself. The peace that he gives is not earthly peace. It's a peace verse. Philippians 4, 7 says this. And Cody preached on it last, uh, week before last. Uh, Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Don't you, wouldn't you like to have a peace that's unexplainable? I mean, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want peace that guards your heart and your mind and is unexplainable? People go, how can you be at peace during all this? I don't know. I can't explain it. You know why? Because it's supernatural. I've stood, I've told you this many times. I've stood beside families in, with, around the coffin of their dearest loved ones. Sometimes even children. And they have a great peace that God's in the midst of all this and going to do a work. And I've watched people go through horrible, horrible times, just really ugly divorces and stuff. And I've watched the saints that were caught in that mess just have a great peace that God's going to resolve this and the courts are going to do the right thing and we're going to get through all this. And that great, great peace that I've watched in all that was supernatural. It was, it was unexplainable. Only thing I could say was, man, I know you know Jesus. If you're at peace today... You have to know Jesus. Now see, we have the option to do that, but, and, and I'd encourage you, this is your homework for the week. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, gives four commands. There's four commands that start in verse 4 that help you learn how to get that peace. The first one says, rejoice always. It means stop whining. <laughs> and start, start declaring some joyful things in your life, right? There's, there's four, three other ones in there though. You look those up and learn those so you can have that peace. Peace that's impossible to explain. The third priority is a priority on the Word. Chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians. Let, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. I'm reading from New American Standard. New American Standard. Anybody else got a different translation? I'd love to know what those other ones say. I, I looked them up a long time ago, but I don't remember. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. Somebody have a different word there? I know a bunch of you bought New American Standard when I started preaching on New American Standard. Right? But there's a bunch of different ways it says it throughout those other translations. But when it says, let the word richly dwell in you, it literally means to be at home. It means to dwell in your house like a resident, not a guest. You know, when you visit somebody's house, when Annette and I, probably this summer, we'll get to go to Birmingham and hang out with our friends Scott and Leanne, and their three children that are my godchildren, and um, love on those little girls. Um, but we'll be in their house, you know? So, you know, it... 10.30 at night when I want that peanut butter jelly sandwich? No, it's their house. I'm not going to go raid their refrigerator. 
Now I'm going to go through their cabinets. You know, it's their house. I'm just going to sit there and wish I had peanut butter and jelly. Because I'm not at home in their house, you know? Now they would offer it to me if I asked. They're wonderful people. But I'm not at home there. But my house, I know right where it is. I know right where the apple jelly is. Keep it cold in the refrigerator. It's good, right? Because I'm at home there. Now, if you stay with somebody long enough and you dwell with them long enough, you become at peace with that house. And you will eventually. you got your feet on the coffee table, you know? You know which couch cushion to find the remote in and all that stuff. See, you're at home there. You're at home. This is what the Bible, the Bible says, let God's Word, let the Scriptures be so comfortable to you, they're literally at home in your heart. In other words, your, your relationship with, and the Word, it, the Word is taking up residence in your home now. Taking up residence in your heart. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Well, how do I do that? First of all, it's very good to memorize some verses, okay? Just find some good memory verses. Psalm 119.11 is a great verse to start memorizing as a memory verse. And in Psalm 119, you want to say these words. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I... Oh, King James, sorry, that's my memory path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Just memorize that verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart. The, the Hebrew word means treasured. I've treasured God's word in my heart so I won't sin. Here's, here's a Bible verse that God gave the psalmist many years ago, say, teach the people in this song how not to sin. This is how not to sin. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You got a temptation in your life, you struggle with lying or lust or envy or jealousy or strife or anger or hatred. You struggle with any of those sins, find a verse about that sin and memorize it. Find a verse that deals with that sin. Just use your concordance. You can Google them now. Just Google them. Google verses about... And the Bible verses that comes up that triggers in your head. When you do that, God's going to literally say, that's the verse you need to treasure, treasure in your heart. And then the Holy Spirit can speak to you through that verse. Right? And, and the Word of God takes residency in your heart when that happens. If you don't get some memory in there, you don't have residency. You have some good guesses. I've sat with people and said, people have sin issues and they're struggling in their office. I go, you know any Bible verse about that? Well, there's kind of one that talks a little bit about like, what's well, a good guessy thing, but it's not the Word. You know, that's something you heard online or something. So let's get the Word dwelling in us richly by memorizing the Word. And then Psalm 1 says we should meditate on the Word. Psalm 1 is one of my favorite passages of all times. And highly recommend you just occasionally just go back and read uh, read for yourself Psalm 1. But when you when you do, you want to... Remember, David was picturing this beautiful, beautiful tree. Beautiful tree that, that represented for him life. Blessed is a man who walketh not in the path of the ungodly, nor standeth in the seat of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law is he meditate day and night. That word meditate means chew on something. It's, it's really what cows do. They have all those stomachs and it's disgusting, but they regurgitate. They chew on it for a while and swallow it and go, hey, I want that back again. Then they bring it up again. They chew it on again and put it in a different stomach. 
Okay, some of us wish we had more than one stomach. <laughs> some of us wish we had less of a stomach. But the cows meditate, they ruminate, what it's called, and they just keep on chewing on that same stuff. They get more nutrients out of it. The Bible says, Blessed is man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the sinner, or stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law does he meditate day and night. Now what happens to him? Verse 3, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which leaf never withers, and it bears fruit all year long. Its fruit's always, it's bearing fruit all the time, and life surrounds it. And then it says this, and whatsoever he does will prosper. Well, how am I going to prosper all the time? I'm going to meditate on the Word. I'm going to let the Word take residence in me and dwell. And when the Word, when I make the Word a priority and it dwells in me, now I'm able to have that peace, now I'm able to have that love because the Word is being used by the Holy Spirit to guide me in the peace and the love. So three priorities so far, love, priority on peace, priority on the Word. And then he actually says we should speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's some fantastic psalms out there, um, old and new. Doesn't matter what generation you're from, doesn't matter what kind of music you like anymore. Um, you can even find good Christian songs that are you know, country songs or rap songs or speed metal. My son's... Every once in a while, give me these crazy speed. Hey, what do you think about this, Dad? I'm like, I don't even understand what they're saying. I have no idea what they're saying. But if you're saying that's Christian, good for us, man. Awesome. We got some guys on that team. That's good. Can you translate any of that for me? Is it like a word picture thing, I guess? But you understand psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to speak to one another in those things. And we're to let the Word of God into our lives for that. That's why, by the way, when you listen to like a a Christian radio, K-Love or Power 88 or some of the other ones that we have in town here, when you listen to that and they're singing those songs that say exactly the words out of Scripture, um, you know, Jesus loves me like we sang this morning, holy is the Lord, the earth is filled with His glory. When you're singing those songs or hearing those songs, you're, in, you're in bringing the Word to into your heart, into your life, and it's, it's becoming a priority for your, the Holy Spirit to use. Fourth priority is the priority on thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, I can do that. Whatever, even if it's really bad, Lord, I can give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will. As long as I don't have to give thanks for everything. I don't want to give thanks for the hard times. Hmm, well, there's a problem because Ephesians 5... <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 20 says, we should give thanks for all things. Not just in all things, but for all things. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. Well, Lord, I just got diagnosed with a serious disease. Give thanks to God for everything. Well, Lord, I just, my, my, my son or daughter is just, you know, falling away from everything. They're just ruining everything. For everything. In everything. And for everything. Now that's real thanksgiving, by the way. When you do that, you're able to respond to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I'm truly trying to mature now because a truly maturing Christ follower finds a reason to be thankful. A truly, truly maturing Christ follower finds a reason to be thankful and rejoice. Say, I'm gonna, hey, this is hard, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna have joy in it. It's hard, but I'm gonna have joy. I'm gonna speak joy over this. So we have to have a priority on Thanksgiving. By the way, you can tell when you're with a family for any length of time. You can be inside a family, a little family group, and you can tell if they're thankful or bitter. 
You can just tell. If they're angry with God, you can tell. If they struggle with, you know, God having dealt me the right hand or I deserve more or whatever, or if they're just like, oh, you know, God is so good to us. Don't deserve the air I breathe. Don't deserve the water I drink. God is so good. You can tell the difference. And the difference is one's being led by the Spirit and the other one's got their self all caught up in that. It's all flesh. Fifth priority is the priority on Christ. And this just weaves through the entire, through this entire chapter. I just want you to think for a minute about this. If you look in chapter three, well, let's just talk about this priority, verse uh, 17. 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, right? Uh, when you get to 17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ through him to God the Father, right? So Christ is the centerpiece of all of this. Do all in the name of Christ, everything you do. You cutting grass today? Cut grass in the name of Jesus Christ. You're washing dishes? Wash dishes in the name of Jesus Christ. You, you, you know, cleaning your tile floors in the name of Jesus Christ. You do it in His name, for Him. Everything that, and all you're saying by doing that, by the way, is literally I'm surrendering everything I do to you. I gotta go to work today, Lord. I'm going in your name. I'm doing this for you. I go to work for you. You say, no, you work for your other bosses. Nope, I'm working for you today. I want my bosses to look good because I want them to, to see you in me. And when I go to work today for you, when I go to work for you, I know you're going to help me eventually receive a paycheck from that. And that paycheck's all about you. It's not about me. You're the giver of all things. So James says he's the giver of all good gifts. Every dime you've ever been given by any boss came from God to you. It did. It came from God to you. So we're to do all in the name of Christ. Now, if you just back up in Colossians chapter 3, I just want to show you how important this priority is. Colossians 3 verse 1. If you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated. See what Paul's doing? He's like, hey, let's get our attention where it belongs, on Christ. Let's get our mindset on Christ. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, um, you'll be revealed with him in glory. So he's talking about now we're going to be caught up with Christ in glory. Verse 11. He says... Um, or back up to verse 10. We put on the new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Christ who created him. We're being renewed to Christ's image. That's our new image we talked about last week. And uh, Christ is all, verse 11. Um, so those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion. When he gets down to verse uh, um, eight, uh, 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in you. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you and whatever you do, do all in the name of Christ. See, it's the priority. Jesus is the priority of our life, not you. You're not the most important person on the planet. You're not the most important person ever created. You're, you're, we're nothing without him. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And I had that crazy story, uh, message I taught in Wednesday night a few weeks ago. I'm going to teach it at camp this week. Um, that's this crazy message that says God doesn't need you. I don't know. If that just kind of bothered me when I learned that. Um, but it is true. God doesn't need you at all. Remember the psalm? We, some of us were there on Wednesday nights. Remember the psalm? There's a psalm where he says, If I was hungry, would I ask you for anything? No, because I don't need you. 
If, if God was hungry and asked me for it, He would have to create the stuff for me to make the meal with. He'd have to give me the wisdom to make the meal. He'd have to give me the ability to make the meal and time to make the meal because He's the giver of all things. He's like, why would I ask you for something I do? I can do. I don't need you. I don't need you at all. But here's the crazy part of that. He loves and wants me to be His child, to be adopted into His family. He loves me personally. And that's why he says, if you want your life to be healthy, if you want your family to work like it's going to say in those next few verses, wives be submissive, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he goes right through a whole list of deals, children obey your parents. If you want your family to function well, let's get your priorities right. Focus on the things of heaven, have a funeral for your old self, and let's get these new priorities. Let's get these new priorities going. Let's put on all these new clothes and all this new priority in the new me. And say, I'm not living to my old self anymore. I'm going to walk with him. Do you agree with that? By the way, amen helps me know you got that.